Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, another great special guest, Mike Battistelli. But first, for more information about the Stable of Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee, Washington, and Florida. More on that in a second. While you're there, please subscribe. It's free, so why not? Welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Mike Battistelli. Mike and Kate Battistelli planted roots in Franklin, Tennessee a decade ago. Delighted to make a home among like-minded, patriotic, and freedom-loving friends. For years, Mike and Kate were active professionals in the New York City music and Broadway theater world. He is a professional trumpet player and conductor, musical director on staff at Radio City Music Hall. She's a television and Broadway theater actress and Yul Brenner's leading lady in The King and I for three years. Wow, that's a long run. That's an eternity in Broadway career. Daughter Francesca Baditelli is a Grammy and Dove Award-winning singer-songwriter and contemporary Christian recording artist who also homesteads and homeschools her six grandchildren, his children, his six grandchildren. Coming to the Lord a year after getting married, God called Mike and Kate, literally dared them out of the music and theater world to follow his, amen, prompting into home business, homeschooling, and serial entrepreneurship over 40 years of marriage they experienced the blessing that followed God's prompting to change direction. His dare to step up and step out to believe that his, God's very best for our lives lies in taking those faith-filled bungee jumps he whispers to those with ears to hear. Mike and Kate frequently speak together at homeschool and other conferences and have a passion for mentoring the younger generation. Kate is the author of Growing Great Kids, Partnering with God to Cultivate His Purpose in Our Child's Life, and best-selling The God Dare, Will You Choose to Believe the Impossible? Run out and buy those. Don't know how you fit that in in such a long career, but she did twice. They'll be in the show notes too. You can get them from there. And she is currently working on several additional titles for her publisher. Mike continues to run their family's several businesses, and is a respected realtor in the booming Franklin, Nashville, Tennessee market. Mike, thanks for coming on. How are you and Kate today, sir? Steve, thank you so much for the invitation. I, you know, I followed your work for some time, but, and I understand as of today, we're actually neighbors. We live in the same bubble, the same beautiful neighborhood here in Franklin, Tennessee, and we've not yet met. So I hope soon we yes. can do that, but Kate and I only are doing through the great. powers of Zoom have we met so far. But don't out me because I they've already come to my house once. Don't let them come again. Um, <laughs> well, let's start in the beginning. Uh, I love this area. You love this area. Tell us how you two were successful enough to make Broadway your career. That's not an easy gig to get. Well, you know, it, it it it's it's almost as if lightning strikes because there's so many talented people, whether it's the music business or they're actors or in the tech side of things there. Uh, getting an opportunity to uh, to work that craft, if God has given you gifts and you've been faithful enough to exercise those gifts. Um, I went to music school. I was a professional trumpet player. After I got a, a year on the road right after college and I got that out of my system, I went to teach. I was teaching in uh, Williamstown, Massachusetts at Williams College as an adjunct. I was a high school band director for seven years. 
And I got a phone call uh, out of the blue to go to Boston and meet the the touring company of the of the King and I with with Yul Brenner. And uh, I got the opportunity to take the job, sold my truck, found a home for my dog, rented my house, and ran away with the circus, if you will. But my my then future wife, who I had not yet met, was a, a girl in her twenties from New Jersey who went out as the understudy to Mrs. Anna, the leading lady in the King and I under Yul Brenner. And uh, you know, typically understudies in a marquee role like that don't get a chance to go on the on uh, on stage in that role. But the leading lady got pneumonia. Kate went on for a couple of weeks. Uh, leading lady came back. My wife dutifully went back to the chorus, which is what you do. And uh, within about a month, the producers called and said, we'd like you to do this role. Mr. Brenner has sent the leading lady back to New York, paid her two-year contract, and wants you to be in the role. So we met, fell in love across the footlights. I did one year uh, with that show. Uh, Kate did three years. We ended up off those off those shows in New York City. We got married in 1983, and it was literally a year later that we came to um, the knowledge of the Lord. And we we were uh, we were living in what we thought was the fast lane. We we learned <laughs> in retrospect it was really leading to the breakdown lane. But we got married in '83, met the Lord in '84, and we began what we had hoped to be a large family. We wanted five or more kids. God gave us one. Um, we moved out of New York City, um, trying not to slant the playing field into the performing arts, as we just knew enough about that that we didn't want our kid necessarily. We moved out uh, listening to really that that um, still small voice of the Lord saying, this, this is not what I have for you. And he literally dared us out of the business. We moved to Princeton for a few years and eventually down to Florida where we raised our daughter. But we only have only have our, our only child, but uh, as you've said in the intro, she's made us grandparents six times. So we're we're blessed. It just skipped a generation. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah real life all about Eve in there. I heard, which is um, <laughs> about all I know about Broadway. Uh, not the godly part, however, which you know another very rare thing about you, uh, or unusual at least about the you and the entertainment business is you're married forty years. Only Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell can say that, that I'm sure of. Um, and I'm not that's even sure true. they're actually married. How'd you that's, do it? And that, that's true as well. We're, we wonder. We're not sure. But, you know, we, we made the move here to Tennessee, uh, literally, Steve, chasing our grandchildren. Because, you know, had they moved to, uh, to the moon, we would probably be looking for real estate on the moon. Because to, to a grandmother, those little grandchildren, as they come along, are irresistible. So we moved here. And as you said, we, we've been in and out of West Haven here in Franklin for well, really since 2007, our daughter signed a record deal before she finished college. We moved her up here. We visited many, many times. And in this neighborhood, her music executive label execs, her producer lives here. So we were up visiting a lot. And we, we remember looking around and saying, boy, wouldn't Franklin be a wonderful place to live, especially based upon the experiences that we've had living in many places over the world, over the country, mostly in the Northeast, very liberal. And um, the business that we were in is not peppered with too many conservatives. And, and uh, just like in Hollywood, I, I believe, you know, those who are probably need to keep their mouth um, closed most of the time because you could lose work if you declare yourself uh, against the, 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 the grain because there's, it's yeah, such that's a interesting. We talk grain. a lot here on this show about the politics of the far, far, far left coming out of Hollywood on the West coast. And of course, filmed everywhere on earth now with their woke subject matter, even if, if Disney and HBO are losing billions. What's the po political climate of Broadway like in general? 
Well, New York City uh, is very liberal, and and I would say most of the our friends and colleagues in the business, um, not not so much uh, in the in the orchestra. And I was a musical director and a conductor, played trumpet, so we were not the onstage folks. The onstage folks are uh, these are kids that work so hard, whether it's dance or singing and acting, and when they get a shot and they get an, a job that's well-paying in, in Broadway, even off-Broadway, they do very little to, um, to, to um, shake that up and, and the risk. Boat, yeah. So they mm-hmm. don't go against the grain. But also, I, I would say most of our friends and colleagues in that business, uh, whom we love still, are, are very liberal and would not be ones that would cozy up to a conservative thought. But uh, we love them nonetheless. So that means that those that are of a different ilk that believe in uh, fiscal responsibility and smaller government and um, taking the junk that's currently in school curriculum out of schools are very few and far between. So we generally are not very comfortable living in those environments. And so we, we were- Are they thrilled. are they well educated on the issues? Are they, well, are they actively social or do they always just have their gut feeling that, oh, it must be mean old nasty Republicans doing this? Sadly, yeah, I think you nailed it. I think we, we're dealing with the, uh, with the after effect of what I really believe is a vast majority of an illiterate electorate, illiter- illiterate in that they don't really understand the issues. They've not dug deep. They don't really care to understand. They're just sort of on a uh, on a path to vote a certain way because that's the socially acceptable thing to do in their circles. Right. They know and, what Kim Kardashian wore to the Grammys, but they have no idea what tax policy of this candidate or that policy precisely. is. Yeah. So during COVID, um, everything on the island of Manhattan was completely shut down for a long time, including Broadway going dark, of course. That must have been devastating for the the career employees you're talking about on the stages. How did people make do? Well, of course, we had already left the business and left New York by that time. But yeah, many of our friends, and not just in New York on the Broadway scene, but um, in the music business, the touring musician business. My daughter happens to be in Christian music, but whether it's country music or secular music, whatever, that shut down. And typically, if you are if you're a creator, if you've written music, or if you've written the Broadway show, or if you have points in a project, those people survived and they did pretty well. But the working folks, um, in it, golly, on Broadway, the the the, the grips, the stagehands, the electricians. Um, all out of work. And uh, in the music business, the, the road managers, the merch managers, the, um, the side men, the, the front of house operators, they were all, it was, it was devastating. And I know a lot of artists who um, went deep in their pockets to continue to pay their staff, their band, their musician, their side men, their staff, their road managers to keep them going during, during those lean times. And it really still hasn't quite recovered in in spite of what has happened with Taylor Swift's. Yeah, now there's crime and, and, and Twitter all over again, like the 70s. Um, were you political yeah. in New York or any family well, active in politics? I, not really. Uh, I kind of kept my head down, although I, I've always been keenly interested. Kate and I have always joked that um, uh, I, that we're probably, I wouldn't say addicted to to the news, but we stay keenly attuned to the news and, and a wide variety. And um, I like to know the facts, and we probably would be would be leading a, a more peaceful and and quiet life if we weren't so tuned in 
to world events. And of course, you know, it's, it has been said that all politics is local. Things don't get way more local than the uh, running for mayor or running for the city council. Here we call it alderman. And um, knowing what is at stake and knowing uh, and witnessing really how threatened I think the other side is to this conservative effort to maintain the, that which we all love about Tennessee, mm-hmm. that which we love about our little uh, town of, of Franklin. Um, and I think if you follow the money, uh, there's a lot, there are people that are be- becoming well compensated for giving in to some of the unbridled um, growth that developers yearn for, high density housing and all of that. And the effort to, to, to um, check that unbridled uh, uh, growth and expansion is something that I believe threatens uh, people that are currently in power. It's just like our, our friends in Washington, D.C. Once power and position comes into play, it changes people. And I think very often what follows power and position is a lot of money. I think I heard a statistic last week. I forget. AOC came to Congress. What is it? Is it three, four years ago? Whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She had like $30,000 to her name. She was either 30000 in debt or 30000 to her name. She's now worth $6 million. Where, where did that come from? How yeah, did that, that happen? Diane Feinstein just left uh, $60 million to each of her children. And, you know, she's only been in politics since I was born. Um, exactly. So you chose to leave the Big Apple. Sinatra said, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. You made yeah. it. Your bio said, God dare you, just like Abraham and Moses. You you came to right. Middle Tennessee with that dare. Uh, hopefully he didn't say, I meant Middle East or something like that. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. What do you make of this crazy mayor and Alderman's race we have here? Uh, early voting began yesterday. Yeah, it did. You know, uh, I, I don't dislike the man. Our, our mayor, Ken Moore, I believe it's been mayor 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a nice man. He's personable. He's a church going man. I think, however, what's happened is that there are pressures, uh, the pressure of power and position. It's certainly not the money, at least overtly. He gets paid a whopping $2,000 a month as mayor. It's a, it's a $24,000 a year, what, part-time, part-time job. But yeah. he, he's very personable. He's, uh, and I'm sure he's a good ambassador a doctor. for the city of Franklin. But uh, he's making decisions that are not representative of his conservative constituency. And there's a, there, there's a lot of evidence of what has happened, not the least of which is that very celebrated um, tie-breaking vote that he gave at the board of mayor and alderman meeting relative to allowing the third year permit of a third year of a, quote, family-friendly pride festival here in a county park in, in public, uh, on public lands. And um, they and have had, a, they have a weak mayor system there. So the mayor really only does break ties. He doesn't do exactly anything right. else. So the she... aldermen, which is our city council, there are eight members, four uh, voted in favor. They're more liberal um, by virtue of how they've been voting. There which was a little members. bit of horse trading behind the scenes as well. It should have been five to three. Yep. Absolutely. Quite a bit of that. And uh, he broke the tie. And the sad thing is that there was very clear evidence of... Um, of anything but family-friendly behavior at the previous two years. And they wrote a new ordinance on decency specifically because of that. Precisely. And, and, and waived their now, own. Yeah. And there's a state law now, in fact. I've, I read an article today. I'll bring it up. If, uh, but what's happening in Knoxville, there's a three-day Pride Fest being planned. Flouting Friday, the law. Saturday, yeah. and Sunday. Have you yeah. heard about that one? Yeah, conservative news said it's uh, flouting the law, basically, in their faces. But you actually wrote a press release asking... 
more like begging for civility. He, he, let me read a piece of it. It's worth reading the whole thing, but but here's what you said. And I'll break it up over the course of the conversation. Voters for Fairness and Civility, your group, a newly formed group of residents, today issued a call for a new tone in Franklin's upcoming election, citing an incident at a private resident-organized candidate forum held September 27th at West Haven as the most recent example of the urgent need for a change of election rhetoric and conduct. I was there for that. Actually, I was invited to film it, and it's on Rumble for all to see at Mill Creek View Rumble channel. And I had no clue this was actually happening because it was not as much of a thing as they blew up in the press. I did see Phil afterwards and introduced myself since he'd been attacking me all week prior. So I wanted him to at least know who I was, I'm not just some bot. I'm a real person. Um, you say further down, Mayor Kenmore and his long-term ties with the Democratic Party invited News Channel 5 reporter Phil Williams, a non-resident, to attend the forum. Again, I was invited, but was the rest of the press, he's Nashville, not Franklin News, just for the record, was he not allowed to be there? Well, you know, th that's an interesting point. This was this was supposed to be a resident-only event. There was supposed to be ID being checked at the door. The chairman of our little resident advisory council, that uh, this one is a government affairs um, rack or resident advisory council, happens to be um, very liberal. And he uh, he didn't even inform his colleagues who had been planning these these two Wednesdays since January, and they were going to be resident only. There was going to be a forum, very decorum was to be followed. There was no chaos. And yet he unilaterally invited uh, supporters of, of Ken Moore. Um, and then, and, and Gabrielle, the other candidate did invite others outside of, of the residents of, of this community. So all's fair in that, but, but what this other gentleman did was invited News Channel 5's newsreader, Phil Williams, who has been viciously attacking Gabrielle in, on his Twitter feed, I mean, relentlessly. And yeah, the thing for 10 really days straight now, as a matter of fact. Oh, absolutely. And, and it may have been responsible for me being banned from Twitter. We don't know. We'll never know. We think maybe it was he or his minion that got you banned, banned from Twitter. But the sad thing is that's what happened in the aftermath of that is that um, there's been a lot of name calling, a lot of vitriol. There has been uh, there, there have been threats, death threats. Um, I know that uh, Gabrielle Hansen's um, campaign managers had her tires vandalized on two occasions. And, and she was fired. Yeah. Yeah. And and here we are. I'm sitting in my office in my home, looking out the front windows of, of my home. And just five minutes before I dialed into our meeting today, uh, a neighbor walked by and my wife noticed that he paused, looked at my campaign signs that are in the front yard for our conservative slate. And he gave he gave it the finger. My wife said, sit down, don't do anything. I just went out and I just opened the door and I said, can I help you? And uh, we got into a just a you know, two minute conversation. He was he was vile. And he ended up this is our little sleepy neighborhood of West Haven in Franklin, Tennessee, where I said, you know, I'm delighted to make a home among like minded, patriotic uh, uh, yeah. friends. And he told me to F off twice. You know, so much for the civility begging so that you were doing yeah. in your letter. Um, so I interviewed three of the aldermen candidates and Mrs. Hansen twice, yeah. once as alderman and now once as candidate. Uh, but the alderman story, I think, is even more important. You wrote, Mr. Williams is not entitled to an interview with Ms. Hansen, right? Not entitled. She doesn't have to. She doesn't want to or anyone else for that matter. OK, luckily me twice. 
His biased and unprofessional conduct toward Ms. Hansen only serves to reinforce the wisdom of her declining to participate in any interview with him, said Mike Bastelli, co-founder and spokesman of West Haven Voters for Fairness and Fair. So the group also called on the candidates and their supporters who speak of unity, yet repeatedly refer to opposing candidates as extremists, radicals, divisive, just flipped you the middle finger, and other pejoratives, red flag terms to cease name calling and focus on the issues that are important to Franklin residents. Do you plan on filing some kind of harassment or ethics complaint with Channel 5 and maybe in discovery could find some money changing hands? I don't know. That's got to be a campaign finance violation, I'd think. Well, you know, I'm going to leave that to those that are more more up to date on the law. I, you know, I'm I've got a thick skin. I've within the hour of sending this press release out to all the media, uh, television, uh, radio, newspapers in Williamson County, and all the press and media in Nashville, Greater Nashville as well, um, and all the candidates and a number of supporting groups that are supporting these candidates. A simple call for fairness and civility in the time remaining. We've got 17 days before the election. Yes, uh, early voting began yesterday, runs to the 19th. And you would not believe, Steve, the pushback I've gotten. I got the middle finger, not just um, literally 10 minutes, five minutes before we came online today, but uh, within the hour, Phil Williams at News Channel 5 was poking fun, poking his finger in my eye and making fun of the fact that a simple call, we attacked nobody in this press release. It was a simple call. Hey, can we all just get along? Can we, can we, can we clear up the rhetoric? Um, you know, I, I love, there was a quote in this press release that uh, you might be getting to, but I want to read it because it, it, it really strikes a, a chord with me. Um, demonizing those with whom one disagrees, it says, is nothing new. Many years ago, a group considered to be extremists, radicals, divisive and even dangerous were attacked in similar ways. Today, we call this group our founding fathers. And we're glad for their courageous vision for America and that it prevailed in spite of much opposition from so many naysayers. And those of us that are, are calling for fairness and civility and to, to end these divisive attacks um, simply just want a level playing field. There are many uh, ill-informed, uninformed folks that will be going to the polls this week and next and uh, on election day that don't have all the facts. And right. they would simply rather sit back in their comfortable complacency with money in the bank and their vacation home and their, their lake boat on the lake and, uh, and just believe what they read or hear on the news. And what Phil Williams has done, I don't know the man. He was just celebrated for 25 years with, uh, with Channel 5 here. And I'm sure he's done very good work over the years as an investigative reporter. But one has to wonder why this obsession that he has with Gabriel Hansen, because his attacks have been relentless, they've been they've been vicious. One would conjecture, and there there's some rumblings that he might actually be getting compensated for doing so from some forces on the other side. Yeah, I don't take know. a lawsuit to find that out. We don't know. We're speculating. You are at least. Um, but now, to be fair and balanced, okay, like to coin a phrase from Fox News. Gabrielle has some legit issues. I mean, she posted campaign flyers on mailboxes. That's a no-no. Some empty houses had signs on lawns. I can't do that. Some questions about her past in Texas and Chicago definitely ferreted out by an investigative journalist named Phil Williams. Uh, name changes in her husband's residency while running for office too. Things that people should know. 
but 10 days in a row of, you know, coverage after coverage with a tick-tocking clock on his, on his Twitter to, to get people to tune into his show, probably something strange going on there. If he knew it, he could have put it all into one 30-minute segment and called it a day. Um, now it's basically campaign interference. Um, so she's not the perfect candidate, right? Right. Yeah, there have been missteps. There, there, there's, there's no question. Um, in fact, I would commend people to listen to an interview that aired on Rumble yesterday. Jeremy Slayton, who's a local podcaster, and, and uh, his, his handle on Facebook is USA, And he has some interesting guests, as do you, Stephen. He did a, a more hard-hitting interview with uh, Gabrielle yesterday, and he asked a lot of those tough questions. And I was, um, I was encouraged by how she answered them. She didn't avoid them. It was also followed by a live uh, Q&A on chat. And um, there were three or four of us uh, on chat and we were outnumbered by a number of the trolls on the other side who did nothing more. They didn't ask good questions for the Q&A. So they were just slinging uh, as much um, negative negativity and name calling as they possibly could. It was. It's they have nothing sad. better to do until their cartoons are on. So that's yeah, their that's right. their gig. Yeah. You know, back to, to uh, you know, and Gabrielle's not a perfect candidate. You're, I'll admit that she's not a perfect person. Steve, I'm not a perfect person. If you go back 20 years, uh, you know, <laughs> or 30 or 40 years, uh, there are things that I wish I hadn't done done or said. It it harkens back to my way of thinking when in late. 2016 during the election campaign between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton it was what a week or 10 days before the election and this this devastating audio tape came out of Donald Trump groping women and how bad it was and people were saying oh my gosh how could we ever elect somebody like that well however it happened he became president he was not my favorite person before the election but I'll tell you what those four years in office the issues that he tackled and the policies that he put into place and the direction and the path that he put our country on is something that uh, I think will make history books. I was very pleased with the outcome. Now, he wasn't a perfect person, but I loved his policies and the work that he did. Gabrielle, likewise, has some baggage. We all have some baggage. Um, Ken Moore has some baggage, I'm sure. But the fact is, I think, I believe, I've gotten to know the woman because I helped her become alderman two years ago. Uh, when she was elected there. Um, and there were people saying she was never elected. She just assumed an empty empty chair. None of it's true. There's so much uh, fallacy and and, uh, and uh, wrong facts being attributed to this campaign. Yeah, but and so I that do they don't- where she's I wanted headed, to point the finger at me us. too, because I did yeah. hit on some of the, the minor ones, but the, you know, back in Texas and Chicago, there was prostitution, money laundering. There's real stuff, but I have to say, I've been observing media and politics a long time, longer than I've been in, in media with a newspaper or podcast, but I've never seen a so-called investigative reporter so doggedly go after a candidate for 10 days in a row, and I'm sure it'll be tomorrow and the next day, so 12 days of the week. It's like the mayor's race in his town ended in Nashville, and immediately he jumped on this story. Uh, have you seen it? I mean, maybe Monica Lewinsky and Hunter Biden on a national level, but small town mayor, have you ever seen it? No, I, th this obsession with, uh, with attacking her is something I've, I've never seen. And it's, it's small ball, but it has uh, long lasting and negative effects on our community. I mean, I, I believe where Gabrielle, and she's very clear on her, her, the issues that are important to her and, and uh, the kind of fiscal responsibility to nobody's against growth, but managing this growth and being 
being careful not to get ourselves into debt. We're already a couple of hundred million dollars in debt. And the other side's very happy to remind us that we've got a triple A bond rating. Well, that's great. That means we can borrow more money if we want to. I would rather not borrow money. I'd rather build with money that we have, or at least get the very best. Certainly not can. at 8%, but yeah. So yeah. I guess it's Jeremy's turn because he's had the most recent interview, but it's funny because Phil's breaking news comes right out of my interviews that are two, three weeks old, one back from April, not the Texas yeah. and Chicago stuff, but definitely the local stuff. Although today's news cycle of, of neo-Nazis as her supporters showing up with her at the last town hall certainly didn't come up two weeks ago in the, in the, in our meeting anything to that do we do we accept that or do we put it to bed who are these people why were they there what why do she not disown you know i think uh, one of the guys who is part of this tennis i forget what it's called the tennessee something they're 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 evidently white supremacists this group one of these guys is selling his home and uh, and gabrielle has listed this person's home how, that's how they know one another uh, it's been said that she hired them and brought them here they went public in fact it's it's a matter of public record i think in social media where they said the fact that we're being that's being said that Gabrielle hired us for security is absurd. We arrived because we understood that Antifa was being organized. So there's a gentleman in the in our community here that's uh, whose name is is quite well known. He runs a couple of uh, of uh, internet rags that are very very liberal, very attacking, very vicious. That is an organizer for Antifa, and it's been very publicly known that th there has been uh, a cell. Is that my best friend, Justin? Is that Justin, yeah, Justin who probably yeah, is the other person name. who put me in bed? Yep, that's that's, that's the gentleman. That's I've never met Tennessee met. hauler, folks. Well, there terrible, you go. Terrible situation. And, um, and so, evidently, these these guys, these these supposed Nazis, these white supremacists, whatever their group's name is, said they they came to just to protect free speech and and everybody there because they they said where Antifa goes, we go to protect. They were not hired by, but it was not a good look, that's for sure, because Phil and his cameraman got some very nice shots of a couple of guys that look like, you know, you wouldn't want to bring them home to meet mom for dinner. So what I was doing before Twitter jail, coincidence, I don't think so, was trying like you to change the subject from one candidate's personal baggage to the actual issues of Franklin City and Williamson County. I had all three aldermen running against incumbents that were part of the council that made the votes mad, right? The, the incumbents are the ones who made everybody mad over the development projects, $100 million city hall, middle eight high rise and low income housing, mass transit and property tax hike possibly to pay for it all. Real stuff. Phil never picked any of those up. Just a woman swatting at his phone in his hand, et cetera, that night uh, here in West Haven. So what are the pocketbook issues Franklin will only here if you say it now on my show. Well, um, taxes is one thing. There are there's there's a sixty five. I think it's a sixty five million dollar uh, walking bridge over sixty over Interstate sixty five being proposed. We need sixty five million dollars spent on that, like we need another hole in our head. The hundred million dollar city hall, when in fact there are alternatives. And the challenge is that a lot of what has been a lot of the business that's been conducted that uh, has been overseen by the incumbent mayor has been done behind closed doors uh, in meetings not involving those that are to our elected representatives our aldermen our city council members to to uh, to examine to uh, un, 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 unwrap and then vote on things these things have been done uh, by and decisions being made between developers 
maybe a subcommittee that, that nobody knows how you get on these these committees that the mayor approves and then they he brings the subject for example like the the hundred million dollar decision to build a brand new city hall right there on the current spot where there's it's not the ideal situation there and it doesn't produce any tax revenue if in fact we sold it to a developer and they put in boutiques stores uh, restaurants it would be a tax revenue generating and we should move the city hall perhaps to where the police station is over every small hamlet i've ever lived in the city hall the town hall was next to the police station we've got a great site we could probably save 40 percent put 40 million dollars back in the bank and build something with a class a office space for about 60 million but the decision was made and then presented to the board of aldermen and said well you better vote on this because we've already decided to do it and that a is very large developer has a very large developer had to invite the press, by the way, that night. Um, social issues, too. Yeah. Pride Festival 3.0 will be voted on again next year. Obviously, the makeup of the aldermen and the mayor matter for that. Maybe a transgender parade down Main Street. Vanderbilt Health was a sponsor last year of the Pride Festival. Big employer around here and big political player with lots of money. Uh, they had a book, um, actually a booth, recruiting 15-year-olds to get paid to participate in their gender study experiments. Yep. Not exactly Franklin values, not exactly don't do that in a small town type of Jason Aldean stuff, not family friendly, let's put it that way. What activated you and your group, West Haven voters, to fairness and civility the most? Well, uh, speaking of that Pride Fest, my wife and I attended. We went June 2nd to, uh, to, the, to the farm, the county park, and um, just to have an eyeball on it because we knew that the mayor had not attended, yet he was, he was the expert enough to vote that this was acceptable in our community. And people were saying at that time, well, this, this won't have any far-reaching effects. This is not setting any precedent. Well, what has happened in the Tennessee legislature, there was a law passed by the Tennessee General Assembly, which made drag performances in public spaces where children could be exposed illegal. Now in Knoxville this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there's a there's a three-day pride fest they call it they said celebrate pride and protest and they are in i forget the county that they're in but they they are they're they're um they're scoffing at the at the state law because they said there will definitely be drag performances if you go to their website knox pride k-n-o-x pride you'll see the debauchery from the previous year's event and what they're saying overtly Come after us. I don't care if it's a law. Sue us. And that's that's what's happening. It's a slippery slope, Steve, when we allow in a in an ideal little conservative hamlet like like Franklin, Tennessee, where 2000 people a year have been moving in over the past 20 years, um, that this doesn't have an effect elsewhere. I think there's a lot of eyes on this particular election because I think the, the liberal wing of the electorate wants to take Williams, uh, take Franklin, because then they can take Williamson County. And if Williamson County goes, there goes Tennessee and we'll be. Yeah, blue. that's part of the 4,000 county strategy. We talked about that quite a bit. Um, they yeah. also violated a guy's religious liberty for arresting him wearing a Jesus save shirt and took Bibles out of old ladies handbags at the gate. So the Franklin Police Department, under the direction, I guess, of the mayor, although he wasn't there, somebody had to make the call. Uh, that lawsuit will cost them quite a bit too, maybe more than it costs for that overpass on 65. Uh, but speaking of civility, and I only got about five minutes left, okay. there, is a, uh, there is a Mayor Moore backed push for terror markers, little or big actually monuments to lynchings and Franklin. 
The first person lynched was a Jewish guy, but never mind. They want a spotlight forever where black slaves or just black people were hung, even the criminals making out that were racist, clans folks. Who would want that besides BLM? You didn't move to Franklin, Tennessee because uh, we were embarrassed of our of our racist past that you had nothing to do with not moving here till a year ago. That's yeah. 200 years old. And, and if that side wasn't erasing great square inches, which become great square acres of our history, of our real history, and wanting to focus on something like that, I'm, I'm all in favor of bringing history to life and letting people know the good, the bad, and the otherwise from, from our history. But the curriculum in today's schools, the, uh, the, the effort to erase uh, 1776 and replace it with some 1619 nonsense, and the effort to indoctrinate our kids, not just sexually, but in but but socially and civically and and take away the fabric of the the lexicon uh, the conversation that was begun by our founding fathers and to replace it with with lynching markers i'm personally not in favor of it but we could have a discussion again about history and its place and and the and the thoroughness of teaching history to our younger generation kate and i love to mentor the younger generation and they're being shortchanged in today's educative system, sadly. Yeah, I'd rather see it at the Williamson County Library in the same section where they got the kids' books that are age inappropriate for five and under, but that's another yep. story. Um, yeah. Early voting began yesterday, October 4th, and runs through October 19th. I, for one, will be very glad when it's over. They are uh, even open Columbus Day, October 9th, so not very patriotic or traditional, let's say. What do you know about this election and election integrity? That was a big issue leading up to last year. We talked about it on this show very many times. Nothing was done after last election on the state or federal level, really. But Williamson County is where Franklin is, actually bought ESNS machines instead of leasing them, even with all their bugs and flags. You mentioned Frank Limpus. He's been on here telling us that was a bad idea. They did it anyway. The term Tennessee error by the way, became famous nationwide from Gabrielle's first race for alderman. Did you know that? Exactly. Um, right. That She was the victim of Tennessee era for the first time. So tell us what election integrity issues we have to be on the lookout for now that uh, voting started yesterday. Well, there was a very celebrated incident in Maricopa County during the, I think it was during the midterm elections where uh, ironically in GOP districts or voting centers, uh, voters would get there and say, and these were the machines say, oh, sorry, the machines are down. You can't vote. I don't know how many people were turned away and couldn't exercise their franchise to vote because of that. So machines and all of the, the, the hair, the baggage that's around these machines relative to our concerns about fraud and uh, election integrity issues in general, um, I think almost without exclusion, the people I talk with who understand the, 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 the challenges with voting machines and all the controversies surrounding ESNS and uh, ESS and, and the other machines, Dominion voting machines, and the millions of dollars that we've now committed to buy brand new ESS machines would prefer paper ballots. And um, I don't see why even on, on a small model scale basis, it would be untenable in this area. But It's cheaper. It's way cheaper. There's only 70,000 so. people, 80,000 residents, maybe 30,000 yeah. voters, although there was only a 7% turnout. So we're really talking about 10,000 ballots to count. You could do that in 15 minutes. Um, yeah. Okay, back to your press release before we run out of time. With kudos to you for issuing that, someone besides me noticing this was not going well. I wish it was Knoxville or Chattanooga or Memphis and not my city, but I get more clicks. So here, 
Washington Voters for Fairness and Civility noted that a number of self-identified left-wing activists, some of whom do not even live in Franklin, but are attempting to influence the election, have in recent days made veiled threats and even posted the addresses of the on the internet of West Haven residents who support Ms. Hansen. It appears these activists fear their preferred candidate for mayor cannot win on the merits of his record. We hope the Franklin Police Department will take note of these hateful and threatening social media posts and hold those responsible accountable. Excuse me, said co-founder Larry Liebert. Uh, one came into my house. One was caught on video trespassing on Gabrielle's property and digging in her trash. Don't know why. What did Franklin PD, Moore's campaign, and maybe other local media like the Herald or WAKM Radio, if anyone's ever even heard of that, said any support at all? And on my show with the aldermen, they were holding the chief of police of Franklin somewhat responsible for mismanagement for the soccer coach who uh, accidentally was discovered on his own cell phone, leaving it behind for abusing many, many kids with many more kids to come in this many small years. town. Yep. Yeah, many years. And this is a very small town. So that is obviously huge, but you don't hear anything about that. What did the what support are you getting besides the ones who shut you down, Steve? There's been virtual silence. There have been crickets from all the other media outlets. The, I don't believe, to my knowledge, that the police have undertaken any investigation of the reports of vandalism, threats, and so forth. I know that Gabrielle Hansen uh, is coming out of pocket to pay, not the white supremacists, not the skinheads, paying um, a, a security team to accompany her wherever she goes, meet and greets, interviews, shopping, because of the threats that have come um, against her. And it's, you know, I could understand this if this were a large national election and there were major issues, but this is, this is all politics is local. This is our local little city council in our town. There's 6,000 residents in our neighborhood, Steve, here in, in West Haven. I was just, just, a, did I, I don't know if I said this yet on air, but just for a few, a few minutes before uh, we went on air, I was given the finger by a neighbor that walked by and saw my, my conservative candidate signs. Yep. It's sad that a simple call for fairness and civility would have touched such a raw nerve that has has caused so many people to get up. And yeah, no, it's quite shocking. And that's why I took episode 80 down in April. They came yep. to her house in her daughter's workplace. We don't do that on this show, but the left doesn't play. They play for keeps. Um, people okay, last docs. one. Yep. Docs, Absolutely. yeah. That, yeah. My, my own house, I have cameras. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. What's the future for you back to Broadway or real estate, these interest rates, I'm sure Broadway would be less stressful, <laughs> not, not the politics though. And I want to end on this note. This is not the kind of behavior that has been Franklin, that has made Franklin such a wonderful place in which to live and work. Liebert continued, we call on Mayor Moore to denounce such threats and name calling and show leadership by urging the public to be fair, civil, and respectful of everyone. That's why it's such a great place. We'll see if Kenmore wins, how he goes about the job of leading after all this. Maybe the silver lighting will be he acts less purple as Gabrielle called him and listens to the residents. Think he's going to win? You know, it's a toss up at this point. I think the effort to 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 smear her has been very effective. Um, it, some of it's been uh, in, in self-inflicted by some of the misstatements she's made. But uh, our hope is that this simple call for fairness and civility, I would like to challenge each of the candidates from Ken Moore right down through the incumbents, all of the conservative uh, uh, candidates and their constituents and support groups to commit 
to this very simple call for fairness and civility in the remaining time. We'd be curious to see if they say yay or nay to that. If they say no, they're, they're painting themselves. I mean, who could come against the simple call for fairness and mm-hmm. civility? No threatening. We are a group of people committed to free speech here in, in, uh, in West Haven. Open dialogue, transparency, fairness, truthfulness, respect, and decency. And we call upon candidates and their supporters uh, for the very, very same thing. Yeah, and I was just on the radio making a bet with Matt Murphy. He said 15% turnout, and I took the under. So I hope he proves me wrong, and I hope it's way above that, because if nothing will move the needle, it's this. But I want to thank you for your time and effort for civility and the issues sorely lacking. We are at the end here, though. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and follow your social media or maybe even buy a book or album of yours. Well, if you want to uh, buy my 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 uh, my wife's books, they're all on on Amazon. Um, I'm a I'm a relatively new realtor, uh, and uh, I have a I have all the socials, you know, Facebook and and uh, Instagram and so and so forth. But my biggest concern right now is that we retain um, what we all moved and and now love about Franklin, Tennessee. That we that we retain the small town charm, the fiscal responsibility, the the managed growth. And um, and the, this wonderful, lovely, family-friendly place in which to live. So awesome. that's my plea: get out and vote, vote your conscience, but learn the facts before you simply knee-jerk pull the pull the lever for somebody that you've just heard is the right person to vote for. Yes, and don't just mindlessly vote for those uh, aldermen either. Get the facts and watch my show. Exactly. Okay, well, thank you, Mike, very much. We'll have to thank ha- you, Steve. see you again soon. Pleasure. If you're like me and sick of the woke, unfunny content coming out of Hollywood these days and looking for something new and exciting, I found the website for you, movienight.com. The folks at movienight.com, that's movienight, one word, .com, has the first universal loyalty program that offers businesses like yours the opportunity to attract customers with their exclusive lineup of world-class titles. Titles like Daddy Daughter Trip with Rob Schneider, Triumph with Terrence Howard, and Nefarious, last year's blockbuster hit. Movie Night was founded to positively impact society through media. Check it out at movienight.com and enjoy the show. I don't One year later, and it's still a toe-tapper. I like that song. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show, where we cover what we just heard, not that song. Producer Steve, what do you think of our guest, Mike Battistelli? Oh, it was great to hear. Um, you know, The King and I, my wife and I happened to be able to go to The King and I musical in Seattle probably 25 years ago. So it wasn't that one, I don't believe. But um, fabulous show, wonderful thing. And the fact that his wife got chosen over the uh, the lead is an amazing thing. It to- tells you a little bit about the caliber of these individuals and that he was in the orchestra pit. And then God transported him out of that situation, Broadway, and then moved him on to where they're at today. And we didn't even get into his uh, homeschool advocacy and all that kind of thing. But he's a, mm-hmm. he's a 
uh, he's a power to be beholden. I mean, he is a and guy. His, his daughter is an amazing singer who yeah. gave it all up to to raise six kids. So God bless her and God bless that family. Another great, great guest. Another great interview. Ah, uh, Steve, Steve, Steve. What a week. Uh, update on Twitter files. Hopefully final chapter of this farce. I'm out of jail. Death sentence commuted. And I quote, we're writing to let you know that we've unsuspended your account. We're sorry. There it is. For the inconvenience and hope to see you back on Twitter soon. Oh, yeah. A little background. Okay, listen to this. We have a system that we we have systems that find and remove multiple automated spam accounts in bulk. Remember now, I'm a blue checkmark verified account on Twitter media and your yours was flagged as spam by mistake. Thanks. Twitter. And the day after early voting began in Franklin, sorry, Queen, Phil Williams, city attorney chick and school board shorty, cry more. So you can once again, check me out on at Mill Creek View, now back on Twitter, always getter, truth and Facebook. What did I learn? Got to learn from things like this in life, right? Number one, I'm on Twitter too much. Number two, there are some real dumbasses that I call trolls out there. And so my new rule is if they don't have more followers on them than I have on me, as of today, 637, hashtag mute, hashtag instablock, and no replies. Not worth it. All right, some real news. The U.S. added another $33 billion of debt in one day yesterday, bringing two-day total to $308 billion, $500 billion in 15 days since crossing $33 trillion. That's an average $1.4 billion per hour debt to gdp above 120 percent totally unsustainable steve any comments on my twitter feed or debt uh well i am so happy you didn't tell me ahead of time so i am uh wonderful news god came through for you i am so thankful because i've been praying for blessings over you you are doing a lot of work to get what you're doing out there and people don't understand all that goes behind the scenes that Steve does that we do and others to make this happen. So I'm very, very glad, very joyful that you're back on Twitter and, and you're back on yeah. X. And, and uh, I do post daily uh, uh, biblical verses. So it's not all just vitriol and that's hate. Right. But anyway, but spam? But we are dealing with some folks <laughs> we just can't relate to on a constitutional, legal, even human level. There are demons among us. Truly, truly, yes. I tell you, here's one such example. Quote, this is a headline. Gloves are off. Families are on. Huh? David Brock threatens to target the children of GOP members investigating Hunter Biden by Colin Leinbarger. As the walls close in on the Biden crime family, Democrats are starting to resort to desperate tactics to save them. One prominent leftist operative going to the extreme and looking at hitting Republicans close to home. Tara Palmieri of Puck News reported last Friday that David Brock will be launching a personal investigation into family members of Republican lawmakers looking for any instances where they may have benefited from that members position there once upon a time that you know they wouldn't go after amy carter they wouldn't go after chelsea clinton they wouldn't go after the bush girls the twins but here we are gloves are off families are on brock said to paul mary brock is specifically looking at targeting the children of these republican congressional members house judiciary chair jim jordan maybe next speaker of the house i hope he goes after him uh in return and house oversight chair jim comer the only one telling us about the wires received from china and moscow 
Brock's fingerprints ended up on a New York Times piece, including mentions of tawdry allegations of abuse and an abortion, hmm. Tara Palmieri said. David Brock is a now liberal political consultant, author, and commentator who founded Media Matters for America. Hopefully you all know who that is. He was a right-wing investigative reporter and a conservative commentator before switching sides and writing books and articles critical of Bill and Hillary Clinton back in the day. He also founded Super PACs and founded Facts First USA. The far-left activist and former conservative journalist announced he will be leaving his role as chairman of Media Matters for America, Media Matters Action Network, and American Bridge. American Bridge, 21st Century, his full name, is tracking Republicans' anti-abortion positions, protecting democracy by focusing on ex extremist down-ballot Republicans, hmm, we just had a show about one, threatening our elections and touting the Biden administration and Democrats' record of results for families and businesses. Kind of funny. Famed liberal Arthur Christopher Hitchinson, rest in peace, derided Brock's book, The Real Anita Hill, as an exercise in self-love disguised as an exercise exercise in self-denial. I miss him. I wanted to take an extra shower after trudging through this dismally written, pick-nose, spiteful, and furtive little book. It <laughs> glitters with malice and the more cowardly kind of disclosure. It's a dank, filthy, tissue-turned-inside-out, wrote Hitchens. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, he's gone, and Brock is still with us. Uh... Did I strike any chords with you, Steve? Anything on uh, that? I, Steve, when you when you can't when you cannot when you can't defend your cause, then retaliation by character assassination is all these people can do because their cause and their individuals that they stand for are absurd. They're just wicked, and therefore they know they they can't stand up and say, "Oh, this this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good." So instead, they turn their vitriol on people like you, people like our guest, and others, and just sh uh, just scream at them and go character assassination, just drive at them. But they're not even pointing out anything about the true issues. That well, what did Mike just about. say? Flip off your yard sign That's so right. you're really mean with an inanimate object, yep. but talk to them face-to-face, -face and they cower like, like paper. All yep. right, the verdict is in. Liberals and liberalism get very little correct. Headline, paper straws contain toxic forever chemicals, could be worse than plastic. Paper straws might not be the eco-friendly drinking tube they've been promoted to be. Belgian researchers found that the so-called green utensils are toxic and therefore potentially worse for the environment than their much vilified plastic counterparts, according to a new study published in the journal Food Additives and Contaminants. That must be an interesting magazine to read. Wow. Straws made from plant-based materials such as paper and bamboo are often advertised as being more sustainable and eco-friendly than those made from plastic. Fimo Grofen, PhD, study author and an environmental scientist at the University of Antwerp said in a statement, however, the presence of PFAS, poly and perfluoroalkyl-based substances known as forever chemicals, because they last for a long time because breaking down in these straws means that's not necessarily true. The new research comes following multiple initiatives enforced by numerous U.S. cities, including New York City and restaurant chains, to ban disposal plastic suckers comprised of poly 
propylene and polystyrene, which takes hundreds of years to decompose and are linked to health problems from liver problems to birth defects. Their time has come and gone. I believe we should get rid of plastic straws, New York City Mayor de Blasio said in 2018, after the city council introduced a proposal to prohibit restaurants and bars from distributing plastic sippers. Researchers analyzed the PFA con concentrations of 39 brands of drinking straws, which were compri comprised of five materials, paper, bamboo, glass, stainless steel, and plastic. They found that paper straws were the most PFA filled with a whopping 90% of paper straws containing the chemicals. Meanwhile, bamboo straws, another highly touted green alternative, clocked in second with 80%, followed by 75% for plastic straws, 40% of glass straws, and none in steel straws. Huh. Although that's gross because you have to wash them all the time. If you don't, that's gross. By far the most prevalent PFA was perfluoroctanic acid. Sorry, I'm not a biogeneticist, which has been banned globally since 2020. However, this substance is still manufactured in some countries and could be present in products bought by U.S. consumers. Also present were trifluoroacetic acid and trifluoromethansulfuric acid, Ugh. PFAS, which easily dissolves in water, meaning they could potentially leach out of straws into beverages, you think? The presence of PFAS in paper and bamboo straws shows they are not necessarily biodegradable, warned Grofen. Not to mention that some of these so-called 100% recyclable straws are actually anything but. It's unclear how these substances, which have been used since the 1940s to repel water and grease and everything from cookware to carpets, ended up in the straws, although the presence of them in every brand suggests they were added on purpose as a liquid repellent. Other potential PFA sources could be the soil, the plant-based materials were grown in, as well as the water used in their manufacturing per size.org, P-H-Y-S.org. You can go look it up. In light of the findings, Golfin deduced that plant-based straws are perhaps an environmental paper tiger and that there is perhaps only one true eco-friendly alternative to plastics. Quote, we did not detect any PFAS in stainless steel straws, so I would advise consumers to use this type of straw or just avoid straws at all. Ah, brilliant. Uh, Nobody makes like money on no straws. No straw, Steve. Good for you. Me either. Hey, look at this. Don't California, don't California my Tennessee. All right. FDA approved 65% of new drugs in 2022 based on a single study. Steve, this is Bucky's. Hey, I've been to Bucky's. I should have worn my shirt. I would have known. The 21st Century Cures Act was created to help accelerate medical product development and bring new innovations and advances to patients quicker and more efficient. Yet, some research suggests the law is being used to bypass the once rigorous and evidence-based standard for new drug approvals, allowing novel drugs to flood the market without adequate data and public transparency. According to a research letter published on August 8th in the Journal of the American Medical Association Network, Open JAMA, 24 of the 37 drugs approved in 2022 by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, were based on a single study with, the with only four drugs having more than three studies to support their approval. Quote, I'm not surprised, David Gortler, a pharmacologist, pharmacist, and FDA reform advocate at the Ethics and Public Policy Center told the Epoch Times in an email. Despite the 2017 rule promising, quote, aggressive enforcement and stiff penalties, the NIH and FDA haven't penalized sponsors who haven't followed the requirements. 
The FDA in 2019 stated that it wouldn't enforce penalties of up to $12,103 per day for failing to report a trial's results until the agency issued further guidance on how it'll exercise its power. Related, New York Times had this to say, wealthiest hospitals got billions in bailout for struggling health providers. 20 large chains received more than, not 1 billion, not 2 billion, not 3 billion, $5 billion in federal grants, even while sitting on more than $100 billion in cash. But never mind. Next generation of COVID-19 vaccines and therapies gets a $1.4 billion boost. And you wonder why we're $33.4 trillion in debt? The Biden administration on Tuesday announced a $1.4 billion investment in developing the so-called next generation of COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. You know, the one that's pretty much gone now? Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Bacera and Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, Don O'Connell, made the announcement saying the funding is part of the $5 billion program they hope will help the country get ahead of any future changes in COVID-19, which you can't possibly do. This is an investigation in expanding our country's ability to respond to the future variants that we might see coming out of COVID. The future variants. I mean, if they're future variants, how do we know they're what they are? It's crazy. But Sarah said... It's an investment in better protecting all of our community, including those who are oh. immunocompromised because of the vaccine and who don't respond well to the existing vaccines, which is nobody. The $1.4 billion in funding should allow clinical trials for a new monoclonal antibody to start this autumn with clinical trials for a new COVID-19 vaccine starting as soon as the winter, O'Connell said. Get ready. It's going to happen all over again. Project NextGen is up operationalizing the lessons we've learned about the COVID-19 virus, no, they're not, to broaden the nation's medicine cabinet and increase protections for all communities, O'Connell said. $1 billion for phase, uh, for four phase 2B clinical trial studies on a COVID-19 vaccine. That uh. funding will go to, well, here's where here's the kicker. That funding will go to Icon Government and Public Health Solutions, Inc. of Hinkley, Ohio, Farm Olam, LLC of Houston, Texas, Technical Resources International, TRI, Inc. of Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of D.C., and Roe Federal Systems, Inc., Durham, North Carolina. Ooh, where it all started. Don't get me started on that. $326 million to Regeneron, heard of them. $100 million to Global Health Investment Corp., a nonprofit organization that is managing an investment portfolio known as BARDA Ventures, referring to the federal agency called Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, Sounds like DARPA to me. $10 million to Johnson & Johnson. Let's listen to clip number one for a break. The trick they they got together with, their, with the propaganda was making it so that you're responsible for other people's lives. So you're, I, I can be labeled a murderer. Uh, and people would really believe that. That's powerful. It's very clever. That's where it steps into sadism for me, the, the photographs of the people on buses with masks on saying, don't let their sacrifice be in vain. Phew, that's bad. That's bad. It's, it's very dark. It's very dark. It's victimization is what it is. I was reading 1984 all through this. And, uh, and there's something he says. He says, how do you have full control of people, and he said, fear. He said, no, not fear, suffering is how you get full control over people. And that's what it's come to. Uh, but it, it's psychological suffering, but it's amounts to the same thing. 
And I, I, I experience it. You get caught in the trap. Well, can you believe what your heart tells you is right? Or is it, go, is it going against the, the narrative? Can I talk to, about how I feel to my family? Man, it uh, doesn't get riskier than that. Yeah, and he knows. He, he took yeah. it and suffered big time. And Thank you, Eric out. Clapton. Just so everyone knows who that was. Uh, vaccine injured, globally famous guitar player. More from him at the end. Uh, Cream, great band. I'd rather yep. hear that than get a Johnson & Jackson vaccine. Uh, why did I play that? Records reveal Fauci, others, made over $300 million from the COVID pandemic while Americans suffered by Sarah Arnold. Townhall.com. You can go look it up. According to records, the former NIH director, Dr. Francis Collins, and former... NIAID director Dr. Anthony Fauci made huge profits from royalty checks during the Chinese virus-fueled pandemic. At the same time, thousands of people struggled to put food on the table, and Mr. Clapton got injured. Open the Books, a transparency organization, recently released over 1,500 unredacted records revealing the leaders of the country's National Institute of Health and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, that was Fauci's gig, profited off the virus that killed thousands of people, maybe millions. On top of that, Fauci funded the Wuhan Institute of Virology to research the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. The records show Collins and Fauci got 58 royalty payments from allowing companies to use their COVID-19 vaccines, which in return was developed with funding from the U.S. taxpayers by private pharmaceutical firms, some of the ones we just named, I bet. So in other words, the COVID pandemic was one big ploy for the government to get massively wealthy, she said. Through the Freedom of Information Act, 56,000 transactions were recorded, totaling over $325 million banked by the quote-unquote experts. Between 2010 and 2021, Fauci received 37 payments from three entities, including 15 from Santa Cruz Biotechnology, which ranks fifth in royalty payments. Fauci also received 14 from Ancel Corp and eight from Chiron Corp, which was later bought by Novartis allowing the company to obtain significant NIH funds. According to Open the Books, names and license numbers for each payment is absent from the records, data that the NIH initially withheld but was later forced to release by court. This information is essential to know if there was any potential conflicts of interest, she says. Records also show that Fauci, the highest paid federal worker with a 2022 salary of $480,000, failed to donate his royalties to charity as promised. Hmm. Next story, next person, next demon, the Swiss billionaire, Hans-Jörg Weiss, has a profound interest in American politics. Over the years, he has pumped $475 million, more than Fauci made. He has earned manufacturing medical devices into left-wing advocacy groups, $72 million in 2021 alone, according to a new report from the conservative watchdog group Americans for Public Trust. Did you catch the part where I said Swiss billionaire? That's not supposed to happen. Advocacy to a biography, aha, according to a biography of Weiss written by his sister, Weiss's goal is not to bend laws to his business's advantage, but to, quote, reinterpret the American Constitution in the light of progressive politics. Hmm, interesting for a Swiss National, although foreigners are prohibited from donating money directly to political causes, Weiss has donated lavishly to progressive political organizations. 
Critics argue that Weiss's largesse illuminates a gaping loophole in the political finance that essentially allows wealthy foreigners to launder their contributions, one that has been exploited far more robustly by Democrats yeah. than Republicans, according to RealClearInvestigations.com. Not me, but it's true. Marne Banks, a spokesperson for the two organizations most responsible for Weiss's political giving, told RCI, Real Clear Investigations, that the Weiss Foundation and Burger Action Fund prohibits their grants from being used to support or oppose political candidates or parties or to fund get-out-the-vote or voter registration activities, she said. Both organizations comply with the rules and laws governing their activities, and they support increasing transparency in our campaign finance system. Based on this record, including STF's 1630 funds admitting admitted spending, its grants to politically active grant recipients and its payments, it appears that there is reason to believe that by 2020, STF had the major purpose of influencing a federal election, notes the report. The FEC's general counsel reports went on to conclude that 1630 and a subsidiary organization, the Hub Project, had likely violated the law by not registering as political committees. Quote, there is also not currently enough information in the record to conclude that Weiss made indirect political contributions that would be used for electoral purposes. The report validated a number of concerns raised by Americans for Public Trust, specifically included that the 1630 Fund, a key part of Arabella Advisors Network and Funnel for Weiss's money, had spent the lion's share of its budget on electoral politics. The organization spent 40, no, the organization spent $400 million in 2020, Ooh. which included a whopping $128 million to America Votes, a progressive organization that declares its mission to, quote, win elections in key states on its website. Registering as a super PAC would have also made it clear the fund could not accept foreign donations, something which the FEC has previously cracked down on. In 2019, the FEC fined a Jeb Bush super PAC $940,000 for taking in donations from a Chinese corporation. However, since the FEC took no enforcement action, the conclusions of the FEC's general counsel were not binding. The 1630 fund is still not registered as a political committee as we speak. Brock and Weiss, FDA and Fauci's of the world, that's who we're dealing with, bad dudes with their own interest always first in mind. Yep. Stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof, look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. I am now here with Weston Martinez from Texas. If you live in Tennessee or the surrounding 49 other states, follow this program because when I talk about it's not Republicans and Democrats, it's patriots versus traitors, this is the patriot side of things. So God bless you, and God bless this program. If you want to save our country, you better follow these guys. Thank you, Mill Creek View, Tennessee Podcast. 
Welcome to my quotes for the day. But before I share, I'll remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. That's Tennessee, Washington, now Florida. I'll be on vacation next week, but we'll be running CEO special. So don't worry, I did not kill myself. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View and hit the subscribe button and follow us. Be sure to check out our new business show, the CEO special, which you'll hear next week, where I interview great guests doing good business. And I hope you like it. Give my regards to Broadway, George M. Cohan. The dubbing down of the country reflects itself on Broadway. The shows get dumber and the public gets used to them. Stephen Sondheim, not very nice. They bring in their trees and stand them up on the pavements so that swaths of Broadway are suddenly transformed into dark pine-scented avenues. Deborah Mailer. They say the neon lights are bright on Broadway. They say there's always magic in the air. The drifters. I love the Broadway audiences who relish live drama and don't hesitate to display their enthusiasm. Ian McKellum, remember him? Sir Ian McKellum is an English actor with a career spanning more than six decades. He is noted for his roles on the screen and stage in genre ranging from Shakespearean dramas and modern theater to popular fantasy and science fiction, Magneto in the X-Men movies. There's nothing that can match Broadway for stature and dignity, Sammy Davis Jr. Being on Broadway is the modern equivalent of being a monk. I sleep a lot, eat a lot, and rest a lot. Hugh Jackman. He forgot Prey a lot. Also, the X-Men movies, Wolverine. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Mike Bastelli, for your simple idea and plea for civility. Too bad Channel 5 in Nashville didn't care to heed it. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of MCView.us. Peace in our time and glory to God. Early voting is open in Franklin, folks. Let's see if you can move the needle up from 7% voter participation two years ago. Let's go out on Eric Clapton since we played that clip and stick around for a bonus feature. Me this AM on Final Countdown, freshly out of Twitter jail, given clemency by Elon for now about Trump's gag order and Star Chamber with Villa Chan and Ted Rawl. I hope you like it. upon a time down on 47th street i met a fine chick tried to knock her off her feet now all alone i thought she was playing and didn't know that i was a real sugar man but she That's sort of neither here nor there. But anyway, to help have us uh, uh, do a deep dive into this, we have Steve Steve Abramowicz. Uh, he is the owner and CEO of the Mill Creek View and the host of the Mill Creek View podcast. Steve, thanks again for joining us here on the Final Countdown. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm a bit grumpy today, so please forgive me if I get a little hot. Oh, why are you grumpy? Oh, we like you grumpy, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> why? What's going on? I just got released from Twitter jail for exactly what you're, you laid out excellently for being in San Francisco, where most things are uh, buried under the, the concrete, including the poop. I was in Twitter jail, and so I'm now using my freedom of speech, First Amendment rights on your show. So congratulations. You get me. <laughs> well, there's no better place to to unleash uh, your, your First Amendment rights than right here on the final countdown. So 
what do you think about um, this uh, this or this order that came down from the uh, judge in this case? Um, do you think that it goes too far, or do you think um, you know? Do you think it's appropriate? I mean, certainly, I have no idea at all about you know the the issue that led to the gag order, but I'm not. But we talked about that yesterday. We've already digested that. I guess the question is, is it too much? For a judge, is it is it a violation of Trump's First Amendment rights uh, because this is a government order telling him to shut up, which is weird in and of itself. He showed his cards because he's already been on record saying that he can factor he can't factor out emotions in rulings, and he just showed that he's angry at Trump for bringing in his outside of the courtroom judgment. So he's thin-skinned and then blasted him with a court gag order, which, you know, a former president of the United States, is that what we're going to do from now on? I've got a list, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight comments that Trump has made in the last several days leading up to this. <clears throat> and I can understand why they want to do this, but it's a star chamber because the, the Soros-backed attorney who's bringing this, who ran for her seat on taking down Trump, have all shown that they're extremely biased against the accused, right? They're all innocent until proven guilty. And then, of course, you get into the fact that, well, maybe Trump's right in what he's saying. And that could be about the valuation of the property that they lowballed to make this case. So um, the answer to your question is, no, you can't get a fair trial in New York City based on the politics of the era in a former president at the same time that the FBI put all MAGA, all 70 two million voters of them apparently on the watch list. First it was, you know, uh, moms at school board meetings, now voters. Then it was uh, abortion clinic prayer people, now voters. So, you know, we got a serious, serious First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment problem in this country. And uh, that's kind of what the speaker's fight was about too. So we got a lot going on in what's supposed to be a slow news cycle. Well, I mean, that's that's you know, I'm glad you you mentioned this First Amendment thing. I mean, to me, that's the part that I find really uh, weird. The First Amendment doesn't protect nearly as much uh, speech as I think it should, and as most people think it does. Uh, but it, what it specifically does is it prohibits government the government from suppressing speech. Now, this Judge uh, Angor Angoran's um, gag order is hardly the first one. Uh, to have ever been slapped on anyone. Lots of there's been lots of gag orders, but what's the constitutional basis of uh, of the idea that a judge can tell an American citizen to be quiet about a broad topic? To you know, I mean, th there are exceptions to free First Amendment free speech rights: uh, libel, slander, defamation, um, and so and so on, um, threats of violence, but. This goes beyond that, right? Literally, it's saying, okay, you're, you are facing this lawsuit. You're not allowed to talk about this lawsuit in which you are a defendant um, in, in any way, shape, or form. How is that constitutional? Well, it's not. There's a twist. This is not a jury trial. Trump doesn't get a jury. He even said it. I don't even get a jury. Therefore, a radical left judge who came up— But that's his fault. He he agreed to waive the jury. Well, then he should be all the more reason to be able to chat, right? Because if you if you have a jury, you shouldn't be able to go out there and talk because you could sway the jury. Well, if you don't have one, who are you going to sway? The press? The voters? The media? I mean, somebody has to do it. And by the way, this all started uh, when Trump 
obtained emails of four times reporters. Push began in the Trump administration and continued under President Biden, and the Justice Department obtained a gag order to keep it from public view, according to the New York Times, of course, good old whataboutism. But it's not as if it's new, which is your question. This has happened before, but this is a very unique case. And trust me, I, let me read you like four things that Trump said recently that in a normal world you would gag, right? Said former chief of staff chairman General Mark Milley committed treason and suggested he be executed. Right on record, called for Judge Ergon, this one, to be disbarred, thrown out of office, and criminally prosecuted in addition to attacking the judge's clerk. Labeled New York Attorney General Letitia James, who's suing Trump for fraudulently inflating his wealth and assets on financial records, a racist and a monster. Jack Smith, he said stuff about too. I mean, these are things that a lawyer would tell your client. Don't don't say that. Don't go on Truth. Don't go on Twitter. Don't don't talk. Let me do the defense for you, and I might not even put you on the stand, it, like OJ, right? So he's not being served very well by his lawyers telling him, please shut up. But when a judge has to actually do it, you know we got a problem here. That's it, there's a it, what do you call it when adversary uh, jury or not sorry, legal proceedings that has an adversary role, the judge versus the accused or the jury. We don't have the jury in this case, except for the voters. Steve, um, Trump knows what's going on here. I mean, he wanted to have FaceTime. He wanted to have media coverage. The minute the judge shut him up, he's like, no, I'm going to go appeals now because this is not working for me. I'm not able to talk about the case. He can't step outside the courtroom into the hallways and do a, a media blitz. Well, that's what he's in New York for, right? So he's like, okay, then I'm done with you because we know how this is going to end. It's going to end in appeals anyway, which he just super speeded, right? Because now that you're not going to give me the space to talk, I'm out of here. And he's going to let it play out and then go straight to appeals, which is what he did yesterday. Um, this is what's worrying to me, is that this is just one of multiple cases that Trump is involved in. And it's, it's a limited gag order on Trump on this, which, you know, I got to tell you, I don't think Trump should have put out like some high school bullying rumor smear piece. That was dumb. And I agree with you that, you know, his team should have known better. But if he's doing this and, the, and this is already setting a precedence to mute Trump, what stops other judges from doing exactly the same. And if that's the case, he can't talk about this for the rest of the campaign season, which we now know he's raised over $45 million based on him being the victim, based on him being attacked by the courts. Um, this is going to be there. There, You see the politics around this, right? But this could very well be something that uh, other judges use on him. Do you see that this could lead in that direction or is this kind of case by case? where it's very limited to him attacking uh, uh, Chuck Schumer's girlfriend, quote unquote. This reminds me extremely of what I used to tell my kids when they were getting involved in the early days of COVID. And I said, it's a really, really bad idea to politicize a pandemic or a health scare because that is going to lead to political debate. It's not a debate. It's either deadly or it's not. We can't mess around with this, but we did, and we caused a huge mess. What we're now, what you just asked is the key question. What are we doing politicizing the court? They've already been weaponized. Now we're politicizing it. She ran, this Letitia James woman ran for the office saying she was going to get Trump. So what she's really doing is fulfilling a campaign promise, even if the 
if the uh, case is kind of trumped up. You know, there were 91 charges and 80% of them apparently beyond the statute of limitations, so they don't even matter. So it's down to the 20 core ones. But again, the judge, the, the uh, attorney, and Trump are all political now. And that is not the way it should be. You know, when we would talk about the greatest cases of the century, O.J. Simpson or, uh, you know, any of, any of the trial judges that we've seen on TV over the last decade, Judge Judy made a whole show about it. It's not supposed to be politics. It's supposed to be letter of the law, blind justice. Did you do it or you're not? Guilty or innocent? I squared up, hold the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, politicians don't do that. <laughs> That's not in their purview. They don't raise their hand and say that. They, office, they hold office faithfully to the Constitution, but they don't have to not lie. And here we are in a weird jury trial without a jury over a former ex-president and his business, and not only him, by the way, it's the Trump Organization and his two sons, Donald Jr. and Eric, not political figures. They didn't run for anything. Now going through trial by media because not trial by jury. I hope I made sense. But again, like I said, since I've been gagged very recently, I'm very adamant that we need more First Amendment rights, not less. And this is less. And I get it. He mocked Paul Pelosi about the hammer thing. He talked about police that should shoot shoplifters on site. You know, things you just uh, illegal immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. He said some stuff that he shouldn't say. They should be gagged. He'd probably be in Twitter jail, too, if he was still on Twitter. But when it's down to a judge looking at whether or not he inflated his valuations of his company's real estate for loans that were vetted by a third-party inspector or auditor, as well as the IRS for many, many years, et cetera, et cetera, and nothing ever came of it, we know that there's some political bias going on here, and he's never going to get a fair trial unless they were to do it in, say, Nebraska. Question for you here. Um, do you think Trump will, I guess it's a two-parter, do you think Trump will uh, test the limits of this gag order and, uh, and, and, and violate it, maybe? And if so, do you think the judge will follow through and uh, send him to jail? Oof, jail's going to be interesting because he has Secret Service protection. I don't know how they would deal with something like that where they, you know, clear out an entire wing and put these guys in jail to, I mean, that's their job. They have to do it. You can't just waive that. So I don't think jail, but will he violate the gag order? His lawyer should say, no, don't do it, because if he wants to win this case, then, you know, he can't violate the judge's order. They'll he'll hold him in contempt, and it'll just cost a lot of money, and it gets very, very, very mason you know, ultimately, but he's got his entire family, his destiny, his reputation, his legacy on the line um, with a partisan judge who has basically said, I, I keep a motion in my ruling. I don't just go letter of the law. That's not a good you know, start to a trial. Today's day three, I think. So do I think he'll go to jail? No. But I didn't think Kevin McCarthy was going to lose the speakership yesterday. So my predictions are so great. But um, I, I, just, I just can't help but remember that. I mean, Trump said it himself. I don't even get a jury. I'm in the rat's nest of New York Democratic corrupt companies are leaving New York. Our racist attorney general filed a lawsuit whose facts and valuations are wrong like $18 million from Mar-a-Lago when it is worth perhaps 100 times that amount and numerous other properties, likewise, that this case is a political sham that have been brought. Now, if I was a judge who the fix was in for, I'd want that gag too. 
if I was looking at the letter of the law, I probably wouldn't care that he said it because how do you value it? $18 million, a thing probably worth a billion and a half, just looking at the, the comps in the neighborhood. So he's not wrong. He just shouldn't do that when you're under a judge's uh, uh, um, sort of Damocles. Steve, I mean, Trump has plenty of surrogates talking on his behalf. This gag order does not apply to his entire team. He's able to send fundraising emails out on this. He's able to have his entire team go out there and mobilize and talk to press. So, you know, even though the man himself may not be able to speak, he's certainly got people out there speaking on his behalf. Uh, and he's got other cases to deal with. So there's plenty of stuff happening there. Um, I, you know, I, I'm hearing rumors now that Trump is going to sue the city for this case and, and and say, what do you mean? You, you told all these lies against me. There's a defamation case brewing here. So uh, he's not saying it out of his own mouth because he can't talk about this case, but certainly it's now being seeded in New York media. So anyway, uh, but thank you again for coming on. And uh, it, it was great to hear. For the real trial injury is in the media. It, it's a joke, it's in the media. Yeah, no, uh, Trump clearly is playing it that way. All right, thanks for joining us, Steve. Steve Ab Abramowicz is is the uh, owner and CEO of the Mill Creek View and the host of the Mill Creek View podcast. Be sure to check those out. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.